Hi guys, welcome back to Unconventionally Systemic. Um, we thought today that we we'd have a think about kind of or follow on from kind of our previous conversation and talk a bit more around the institutional, I say dilemmas and dynamics or influences, and also maybe a bit more around um kind of like referral system. Um I guess this may have came about when I think outside of the recording we were having a conversation I think I was having a conversation with Megan like back in the day like um and we were talking about how people of the global majority don't get readily referred to for psychological therapies um especially I think it was from Megan's experience and I wondered a lot from that around the frustrations that people of the global majority experience in terms of accessing services but also in terms of um the kind of the prejudices and that the system maybe perpetuates or kind of continues on um following on from from the episode that we we kind of recorded recently around the um the the kind of the the racism in the therapy room but also thinking about perhaps institutional racism I'm not sure guys if that's the ideas we had but I don't know kind of what what some of your thoughts are on on this topic just to start us off with I guess adding to that it's I mean we know what the stats what what it says in terms of how people of global majority especially the men I think they probably make up a, a large percentage of like inpatient admissions whereas in community services um I don't think they're they're seen as much there or they usually see in the community after they've been discharged from inpatient services. And it's kind of, okay, what, what's, you know, what's happening in that gap before it gets, I guess, that serious or that extreme that they need section in ETC, how comes, I don't know, they don't feel able to, to and I guess it, it might, it might go both ways. Is it that actually they're not understanding you know, or the way that the community services are being explained or, or even the experience of anything remotely close to that has been negative, that they kind of share away from that. Um, I guess it was something that I was thinking about in terms of, yeah, how are people of global majority supported to access services in the community um, early on, earlier on in terms of in their mental health journey. I don't know what other people are thinking about what their experiences are. I I even want to go a step further and um, I know you were talking about kind of um, why individuals of the global majority probably don't get referred for psychological support but I, I actually I was thinking about um, and there's actually like a lot of statistics that can back this but essentially like a lot of um, particularly black men who struggle with um, mental health there 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 I think there was an alarming um statistic i can't think of it from the top of my head but there was like comparing um men of the global majority or men who are black in particular compared to uh men who are white who struggle with mental health there was this there was this statistic on um the percentage of how many get sectioned and i don't know if you if you guys have seen them but it, it was alarming um and it i think it was like 84 percent 84% more um, black men get sectioned um, than white. And I would, yeah, I just remember I was thinking about that statistic and I was thinking about it's not even just about 
why certain individuals from the global majority are not um, being referred for psychological support. It's even the fact that they're treated in or they're they're kind of it's responded to in a way that doesn't necessarily benefit them. But there's also this whole thing about um, institutional racism, of course, but kind of it, it almost goes into this problem main not problem maintaining but it's almost it perpetuates or it it reinforces some of the already racist stereotypes if that if it feels like our energies because of the systems that we're in and because of the way that we as a society view black bodies and I am specifically thinking about black bodies viewing black bodies and black people as dangerous and um that trope is still built within it's like in the blueprint of the systems that we exist in because they're you know handed down from generations and generations as you know part of our cultural inheritance from colonialism and and I say this like this is all fact knowing that it's not necessarily fact but it's part of part of what has happened part of the history of of um our society like living in the UK um, but because of that, we view black people and black bodies in a certain way. And so when somebody comes, when a black man, especially darker skinned black men come into services or women as well, actually, or non-binary people coming into services, what would be read as an expression of like anger or automatically gets categorized as overtly aggressive as intimidating as threatening and so what happens then is okay well at this point what we need is crisis intervention and we need some pharmacological intervention we need a like intramuscular what they call IM medication they need like we need to put them on a depot and I'm speaking about medication like I know lots about medication and I I I do and I don't I'm not a pharmacist I'm not a psychiatrist I work alongside these people but I don't I'm not of their background like I don't have that level of education in those areas but I'm very aware of how it gets to a point where somebody who works with me in a setting and I'm able to manage them in a certain way I'm trying not to make it like I'm some kind of martyr because that's not it at all because I know that it, it works in collaboration it's saying that we need there are times when we need the pharmacological interventions but it's thinking about okay but then at what point do we say, okay, let's let's think about how we manage this in a slightly different way? Have we thought about for this person that's coming in and out, um, what we call quote unquote revolving door patients? Have we thought about, okay, well, have we thought about how we can engage them in community therapies? Okay, they don't want to engage in community therapies because they've had such terrible experiences within within statutory services, within NHS settings. Okay, have we thought about what social um uh, not social services, but what uh, third sector organisations might be able to offer them the kind of support that they do actually need, but that they won't be using within the community mental health teams because they have no trust in us whatsoever. Um, I definitely have ranted then, so I'm going to open the floor up to other people, but it's just some of my musings. I, I was thinking about power. I was thinking about power and... Um, power within systems, power within like 
interdisciplinary working because in some of the conversations that we're having now I was drawn very much back to my kind of inpatient mental health nursing days where in an inpatient setting the power relies with the consultant psychiatrist who makes all the decisions and I've got nothing against psychiatrists but my relationship with psychiatrists has evolved and become better because it became a very difficult relationship because I became very resentful of the the position or my own perception of how they utilize that power in not hearing families voices clients voices especially when they're at the most vulnerable state at the kind of very problematic and this is where this stuff about the medication is coming from um before we started recording this episode I was having a good old rant about my own um frustrations when I used to work in inpatient around the types of medication choices that get given to people and this is even separate from global majority like some type of like you know moods there's mood stabilizers like sodium vibrate and um there's types of and other and and psychotic medication which which part of the side effects is to interfere with for example black people's fertility their sexual libido their you know the 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 functioning these 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 are things that greatly impact people's well-being and also can cause them to be more distressed and and sometimes in the weighing up of these options they don't happen because the person who's making the decision is someone who's not taking into consideration all these different nuances that need to be considered is not and, and I'm not saying that they make the decision on the loan but they stump the decision other people in their multidisciplinary team whether the psychology or the nurses you know you know other people they they all get a say but in terms of ultimately what happens it's this kind of um individual and there's something there's really amazing psychiatrists there I know some really lovely psychiatrists and psychiatrists are great people they're not they're not horrible but but um Lola shared something about um kind of sometimes things that influence what medication gets gets prescribed to people of the global majority especially dark-skinned men was around the, the the perceived intimidation from someone can prompt prescription for um, medication that actually if that person is communicating their frustration they're being passionate they're being angry which is a normal emotional response reaction to have because that's perceived the medication is given to basically dampen that down not taking away kind of the risk factors sometimes when people are acutely and and really unwell but there's something about the powers who has power in the system how does that power influence what happens when that happens and how it gets carried on through especially given the example that Fazana you were giving us around that continuation of something that happened with someone 20 years ago but it's still now perceived as something that just happened now yes risk is important historical risk is important but is it is it a prescription of like this is like you're not allowed to evolve to improve to recover like you know so how like that that I'm putting my hands like in it's really so positive and and oh it's it's kind of the 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 reaction I'm giving here I don't even know how to describe it but I don't know what people's thoughts are around kind of the power nuances of what we're talking about 
I think I definitely share your frustration. Like I was putting in the group, I know when I said who makes these decisions, I know you guys thought I meant literally, <laughs> but no, I know it's the psychiatrist or the consultant. And again, this is not bashing them, but I think for me, I'm thinking of power of attend. I'm thinking about who, like, how is this collaborative? Like again, in systemic and family therapy, we talk about collaboration so much, but obviously when it comes to, I guess, inpatient sectioning, that element maybe goes okay for the person but actually they've got family they've got people that care about them how do we involve them in that decision making but also how are how are these things explained to them does that make sense like how are they really like invited into this conversation to be like okay this is what is going on because at the end of the day when someone is maybe psychotic or unwell again that's not their whole identity that's not their whole life you know that's a fraction of their life their family probably knows them a lot more and they need to understand okay this is what this medication cannot cannot do and then they can think about making an informed decision based on okay this is what we know about them does that make sense um but yeah anyway I can go on and on about this but I guess for me it's about um yeah how what what needs to happen how can these things change and and I guess how can we I feel like sometimes as well mental health services can be quite reactive but how can we actually pause and I guess again and some of that comes from again therapeutic approaches like you know kind of pausing you know silence and just really like that you know how like how can we get things to pause obviously in a safe way not putting people's lives at danger and not saying pausing for (laughs) you know days weeks and end i get that some things are are quite crucial but again that's the point how before we get to that point where it gets so crucial in life or death for example what has been done before that i guess is the more again the preventative stuff where where is that coming in especially for people that maybe are not very familiar with the, the, the mental health system as well and they haven't actually had that experience before it becomes quite pathologizing and sort of you know getting into that inpatient and and stuff like that I'm I'm glad you were talking about the preventative side because what I don't want is to for us to maybe not us I shouldn't say that but to because working in inpatient settings like there isn't that much time to think and actually there isn't the space to have those long or not even short conversations with families it's very much like this person's really unwell they are really um they're really you know, they're having either a psychotic breakdown if they're on the psychiatric intensive care unit, they're a danger to themselves or to others. More likely than not, it's they're a danger to themselves, they're likely to hurt themselves. And actually, how do we manage that for people? You know, there isn't the time for those kind of decisions to be inclusive. And actually, you know, to the teams that are working there at the moment, it is like, how do we how do we treat whatever's going on so we can put people into the most stable position? And I suppose what I'm interested in is not so much like that point needs to maybe be some, needs some thinking as well, but I think where we can be effective in terms of as a service as a whole is thinking about, okay, well, after we've stabilized them, after we've titrated, titrated it down so that their medication is at optimum level, but optimum therapeutic level, but not, not you know this is not a technical term but zombifying people um what where are the services around them at that point so that it's we can think about boosting their quality of life and whatever that quality might be and as you were saying Lola it's about thinking about the preventative measures because we know that if you um the more somebody relapses in terms of especially for psychotic more psychotic illnesses the more people relapse and end up back in hospital the 
um, there's a decrease in their with every subsequent admission and every sub subsequent uh, uh, breakdown in their mental health relapse, their their level of functioning decreases. So how do we prevent people from getting to that point where they're constantly coming back in? And I think there is a space to think about the other services, not just within the health service, but within how do we how do we ensure that people are linked into, I say other services, but how do we also build in trust within the community mental health teams that A, that people of the global maturity will get the kind of support that they need and from people who understand the nuances of the issues they may be facing and are going to be validating their experiences and also how do we make sure that, that the staff team are competent enough to do that essentially because there's quite a lot of moving parts in that. I, I wanted to, as you was as you started to talk about preventative and you were talking about kind of the inpatient stuff, I, my kind of, my mind went like almost completely somewhere else in terms of even before it gets to that point, um, access, how, how are people accessing in, in the last season series, I don't know, yeah, we spoke about accessing therapy, we were talking about it from a therapy, therapists accessing therapy, but also where do people of a global majority go to access mental health support before we get to the um i was thinking like before before people get to go into hospital how do they access mental health support in the community generally and this came to mind as you were talking i was thinking about some like intercultural kind of help seeking behaviors that we have what's our relationship with help and also generally megan you've been talking a lot about trust of services mental health services trust like do we do we speak out about emotional and psychological difficulties that we may experience, stress, distress, all of these compounding things can impact any one of us at any different stages of our life. It's, it's, a, it's a natural process of life, cycle of life, whatever you want to call it, um, that can impact any one of us at any point in our lives to the point where it gets really kind of severe when either we're not coping, it becomes kind of into into a psychotic episode or, or whatever, depressive episode, whatever you want to call it, in whatever language you want to use it. Um, and, and I was thinking a bit about before it gets to that that point of even diagnosing or or even this whole idea of the, the system, the UK system almost communicates to us is that you need a diagnosis for you to get a service. You need you need to define something. You need to pathologize it. You need to define it in a DSM four and you know these psychiatric terms for you to 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 be able to get any type of support from that service. So whether it's you know whether you're 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 seeking the the support from I don't know a religious institution, whether from church, from the mosque, wherever you're getting it from, whether you know. Um, so I, I'm really curious about that aspect of the system and institutional level in terms of. Before it gets to that point, I have the same questions, ma'am. And you know, whilst you were speaking, I was even thinking about even the ones that, I mean, when I say the ones, even the people of global majority that do access the services before, and let's say the the talking therapy, the psychotherapy part before, maybe things get even quite intense. But it's also even in that stage as well, how sensitive is that service? Is that help? Is that therapy that's been provided to them? And I'm, I'm thinking about, again, my journey on this course and, I know um, recently 
one of the families that I've been seeing in the clinic um, isn't a specific type of intervention from systemic thinking with them. And when I was reading the examples in the paper, I was like, for this family of the grand majority, it's it's not going to translate because it's a Western idea like this. <laughs> they don't have this kind of conversations. For example, they don't. Do you get like you, like it wouldn't it wouldn't translate into their culture? And I think that's the other part. Like there isn't for me anyway in the UK. There isn't enough actually information out there or guidance out there about how you sensitively approach some of these difficulties of this family. And it's part of what you're saying, Mariam, is it's a pathologist and it's like, okay, because a young person maybe has depression, let's go with a, I don't know, this specified, I don't want to name any therapeutic approach in system, I don't want to, I'm not bashing any, but just saying like, you know, let's say it's depression, this is the NICE guidelines, that's something that is used there in the UK when you're providing support, um, mental health support, so the NICE guidelines kind of talks about what they found as evidence base that's helpful for you know as, a, as an intervention for different type of mental health difficulty but anyway so let's say it's it's depression there's this whole kind of manuscript about how a, a manualized approach about how you can support your do family therapy with that family but some of them don't take into the context of immigration for example or migrant families or the difference in religion or there's, there's so many different things that come into place and obviously for I'm thinking as as a global majority person okay when I come into that session I understand okay no this is not because it's not working for this family or they're resistant to therapy it's just because it doesn't translate to maybe their cultural background but someone that might not understand that what does that mean for that family does it mean that they're resistant to, to therapy because you've read some manualized thing that is apparently evidence-based and it's not working for this family. So what does that mean? I'm also thinking about that. And also, what does that then mean for the family? If they start to get this, maybe, I don't know, a vibe from the therapist that maybe they're not doing enough or they're not willing to change, for example. What does that mean for how they then seek support in the future if they need support in the future? I guess I was thinking about things like that. Probably going a little bit off tangent, but I guess when you were talking about the bit before, um you know going into inpatient is that bit and as well something else that I think ma'am I'm going to bring you back into talk about is the access to therapy again I know for maybe younger people it might be slightly easier when it comes to thinking about cam setting but for adults actually um it can be quite difficult again generic not just people of global majority but just generically in adult setting it's so hard that if you haven't got that pathologizing diagnosis it's probably hard to then access therapy but even then when you do access it it's quite limited to what's provided you don't get a choice you know it's either cbt which is not a bad thing but there's quite a limited amount of therapeutic approaches that are available to you but also thinking about yes definitely can be had for but also thinking about even when it, it where i'm working right now in terms of perinatal people that get support in there i can i'm class and and maybe even race that get access in that perinatal period compared to others and also think that people that are going into inpatient perinatal period the the cultural background very different to those that maybe had that support from you know just community services again why why is there that difference is something that i'm thinking in the same area why is there that difference it's something that I'm also thinking about. What what are those barriers that are getting in the way of people of the grand majority of accessing services earlier on compared to other people? Can I can I ask Lola? Can I Lola? Can I ask? Um, what is the class difference? I don't know. I've never worked in perinatal services. Is it? Are you saying that 
people who people who who people the the people that you're seeing in like the psychotherapy systemic psychotherapy kind of service it's mostly people from like a middle class and things like all yeah. right it's people yeah. from the middle class whereas all right and then thinking about the ones that we see that have been inpatient have now come out to the community you know kind of the post care from inpatient a lot of them are probably sometimes working class or people of the global majority to be very honest i'm not saying that people not saying that others are not in inpatient but there is this there's there's a majority so to speak if that makes any sense in terms of the class and the cultural background of people that get to access that psychotherapy beforehand and those that might have had to go into inpatient because things got so bad and then when they come back into the community they then get the access to psychotherapy and I suppose um yeah one of the things I was thinking is that I feel like I keep harping on about it I don't think it has to be psychological therapies either I don't think it's I don't think because of the way that we know psychological therapies are also part of a white supremacy kind of framework of understanding things it means that actually it does and you know the psychological professions are trying to change that to some extent I don't know how much of the words is being put into action but there's definitely the words are there I just don't know whether it's actually materializing as yet but but actually I think some of these spaces can actually be quite God, this is very controversial, but can actually be quite detrimental to people of the global majority going into psychological therapy spaces when there isn't a huge caveat in this, when there isn't space to really understand and think about and explore the impact of cult, not the impact, but the cultural differences and the nuances of what it's like to be, you know, existing in a world or in a necessarily uh, consider you in the same kind of way cultural self uh, cultural sensitivity is key um and if that isn't there then actually these spaces can feel quite detrimental potentially feel quite detrimental and me as a as a clinician I do I I hold my hands up and I sometimes worry if I have to make referrals who am I referring for people that I work with the global majority who have come to me talking about experiences of racism and oppression and then and and all that comes within that and then I have to think okay you've had a really good you've said they have said to me they've had you know a good experience in therapy they want therapy in the community I then have to think really carefully about whether I can refer them on safely working ethically how I can do that because I want to make sure that when I send them to a clinician that's a clinician that I believe works in a culturally sensitive way and I don't always feel that that's the case being very very truthful I rarely feel that's the case it's that double bind again isn't it Megan it's kind of you're doomed if you do you're doomed if you don't and and who decides at the end of the day but also how does that get decided when you're kind of having to weigh up ethically whether you refer someone into the service or where they're potentially going to be worse off or going to be oh my gosh um sorry I'm having a very live reaction actually it's nothing to be sorry for um and what was I going to say but you know as you were saying that I was thinking about kind of in my work with 
um, children and young people and families, um, how I don't know what I'm perpetuating by being a almost like in a gatekeeping service when when young dark skinned boys um come and they it's usually like like through really risky really risky things that have happened um like they've tried to end their lives and it's and and I get very um like it it, it tugs at me it tugs something in me and I'm thinking I really want this person to get a service um now so that they don't end up in the mental health service acute inpatient service that I used to work in I want I want the I like I I and it's something that kind of self-reflexively I, I am kind of having to be really conscious about and really kind of work on um because is that for me is that about me and my own kind of perceptions of what I know about stigma and mental health and or also like what's happening in the family system as well around mental health because sometimes you get these um young dark-skinned boys and they they've been talking for a while about feeling really down and feeling really low in mood and having these types of thoughts and and you know they've, they've started trying different things to help themselves and it's things that are more damaging from my own opinion um or even medically um more damaging and sometimes I get a little bit angry when like I feel like they've not been listened to they've not been heard and and like access to a service whether that's through like local community or whether that's through but also this is coming from a place of of kind of this 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 me coming from a culture of um where mental health emotional and psychological needs don't get talked about in the family context it is not a voiced thing that gets talked about. It's not something you you air out. It's a private thing, and all of those kind of nuances. I quickly kind of what you know. I you know obviously with their consent and and seeking out what they say they want, um, and managing their expectations of of wait lists and all of these things where the service might come from. But I a lot of the times want them to get a service I want them to get a service I want them to get it now and I want them to get it as soon as possible and I want it to be a good service sometimes I don't even know about what type of service are they going to have when they do have it because I want it to happen sooner rather than later because I want it to prevent that statistic that horrible statistic that Fazana reminds us is about about kind of what is likely to happen if things get worse or you know and, and things like that and then you know you ha- like other systems like police and you know all of that stuff and it's a criminal justice issue and all of that they be- end up becoming that statistic so that that really tugs at me so when I'm talking about access to emotional support and and things like that I'm thinking about some of those things in my mind but also I'm thinking about I'm thinking about wanting to prevent things from getting to that point but also I'm thinking about also languaging of what 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 words do people learn to use to get help and what type of help what does that look like um and there's something about this society or this kind of 
I want to say westernized maybe it's a UK context I don't know how it is in other places in other countries but is that like there's this anthropological book about pathologies of the west um and 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 basically kind of pathologizing things that are that in other contexts kind of quite fine thing it's, it's not a it's not a thing right so and I'm wondering about that and if it was if I was looking at this from a different context if I was for example in in a country where I was born and I was seeing the same issue would it be the same thing like how would that be and I'm thinking about all of those things as well yeah I think you made a really good point there about about the different perspectives and where I think language is really important because just because I think there's assumptions that that are made that because there's yeah because people are the global majority and that's like a really large number of people across the world cultures heritages ethnicities across the world um they don't necessarily share the same kind of way of expressing and thinking about it doesn't mean they're not doing it it's just in a completely different way and like you said maybe understanding and interpreting things in a completely different way to the very western normative what what is perceived as the normative view of of what is mental health um yeah i really i really resonate with that point mariam i think for me one thing that stood out a lot when you were talking mariam is i'm thinking about how much thought and intentionality you're putting into the support you provide to these young boys when they come to you and i'm like that's just that's you that's one of you like are other people putting this much thought and intentionality into the support that they're providing or is it just this one one size fits or one do you get what I mean I'm like you know what's happening where people are not doing that and how can what needs to happen I don't know like I'm just I guess I'm just thinking about you know what what needs to happen what can be done differently um you know where in the system do things need to change and doing does an awareness need to come in I don't know if that makes any sense um and I see what and I don't I don't I don't know if I agree actually with what you're saying in terms of is that an abuse of power because we all hold power in, in the different spaces that we go into and it's about how you use it um, I think personally because I, I know we talk about power a lot in systemic but we can't pretend like we we don't know hold power it's, it's you get what I mean it's something that's there but I think for me it's about how you use that thing you know um and and and, and your intention behind how you're using that power as well and I think from what I'm hearing and I can't speak for every other client that you see but just the example that you, for me I was trying to put myself mentalize a young boy going through the mental health system and I'm like actually I want someone to be thinking about me in that way not someone that's writing me up because a lot of them feel they've been written off and that's not just the mental health in education systems so many people have they've been written off but not actually to hear that someone is really thinking about you I know we've talked about men in the previous episode before but is that thing about actually being held in mind and not just thinking oh you're a man so you should be okay and you know you, you should toughen up or, or do, do you get what I mean actually I hear what you're saying about you know thinking about power but I I didn't see it as that I said actually yes you might have power in that situation but how are you using it and I'm now thinking about other people that might look like you or look like us and might not look like us and how they are using that power that they do hold when we do have clients that come into 
the services that we are providing and and again thinking about the future it's not just about the here and now it's not just about being reactive of the here and now it's not just putting a plaster on the here and now it's actually thinking long-term wise like does that make sense um is I guess is what I'm thinking and it's like how can we make that what, what needs to happen for that to be a genuine thought and reflection for as many practitioners in the mental health space as possible um when working with clients especially clients where yeah I guess there's probably been a disservice to them over the years as well I'm thinking if there's um any other thoughts or kind of final thoughts or um I feel like I've taken quite an observer position this episode um but I don't know I almost um I sometimes feel like some of these conversations bring out some feelings in me and then sometimes I just um I don't know sometimes I I struggle with voicing it so I just kind of sit with it but so I'd be quite curious to really hear about um the audience and the listeners and how it's been like for them I almost feel like even the last episode maybe we should have given like a trigger warning or something um because yeah I'm it's quite heavy guys um and I guess sometimes I think about we we've spoken a lot about like power and like change and I'm wondering like as kind of like trainee systemic therapists hopefully soon to be qualified systemic therapists entering into these very systems that are you know that need change that require change I I wonder how long sometimes I worry (laughs) I guess like going into it and I'm like okay if I work in these kind of services and I see I start seeing these kind of things like how much would I be able to bear I don't know if that's been a thought for anyone else because one of the reasons like for example I left community mental health work was because it got to a point where I couldn't make these changes because these changes are so much bigger than me but also I, I really struggled with just sitting and watching it happen so that was one of the reasons I, I walked away from that and then I really liked the idea of like systemic work and it's like oh collaborative working and oh families and input and all this stuff but um essentially you can't run away from a lot of these I don't know what the word is but um well really these institutionally racist systems which you know I know that there is a lot being done about like making progress for it but I also I do want to comment on something I think Lola I don't know if it was in this episode or the last one that you mentioned about um the DEI and all these kind of like diversity positions that they're opening up and etc sometimes I um sometimes I feel like a lot of these and this might be very controversial but sometimes I feel like a lot of these responses to educate or like um address microaggressions or like racial biases I feel like it almost comes across as a tech like a tick box exercise rather than it being something that needs to be actively done and I and I and I say that because I feel like there's always an uproar when something's happened in the world so like for example when the George Floyd um situation happened suddenly you know all the trusts across NHS were like doing reflective practices and I don't know it just it it's like why Adding black like, lives matter to their signature yeah like there's just there's just it's not funny it's really not but it's just 
I don't know. I feel like something significant has to happen and then it needs to be trending. And then suddenly there are these exercises or there are these kind of like tasks that are kind of like being completed across services. And it's like, it's not enough. That's not enough. And, and it, and sometimes it's almost, it feels like, um, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. Cause it's like, what are you, what are you, um, what's this going to achieve it's i don't know i i don't have the answers for oh my god how can we make all of this go away i don't have the answers to that but it could be incredibly frustrating um as someone from the global majority kind of being part of the system and although we go in with good intentions to you know do some meaningful work and and help essentially the the, the bigger issue is systems the irony of being a systemic therapist <laughs> with issues with systems <laughs> but yeah that was me going on my little two pence of ramble i am um, one of the things that came up for me when you were saying that fazana was the idea of actually i think by us being in the system does perturb the system and it does you know we can not change the whole system and certainly not overnight and there's been people who've come before us who have you know paved the way to some extent for us to be where we are and we are paving the way for more people to be where we are um and you know further um but i suppose yeah it is in having these conversations and putting these out there that is oh my gosh this is going to sound so cheesy but the difference that makes the difference bateson i can't remember what year but the the whole idea of of systemic is not the whole idea, but you know that that underlying kind of ethos or part of the ethos of systemic is around those small changes that change the way things interact and people interact. And I see that in in the work that I do in in the hospital. But um, I've just been called out for calling things and quotes cheesy. <laughs> unashamedly doing that oh god on a systemic podcast oh well you know that is uh it's part of it I suppose but yeah I've lost my my thread <laughs> just by laughing at, at basically throwing shade at one of the founding people of systemic therapy I'm gonna stop there now I think that's it guys for this episode um we will probably see you on the next one let us know your thoughts um you know the email is down below you can find it all right bye